Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. The Old Mineral Springs Hotel, located in the heart of Alton's historic downtown, is just one of the countless buildings in the city that is rumored to be haunted by ghosts from the past. It is a place where remnants of yesterday linger into the present in more ways than one. Even though no one has stayed the night in the former hotel in decades, many traces of the hotel still remain, including guest rooms that now house shops, once exquisite tile floors, and even the hotel's original safe would still boast the lingering aroma of tobacco from the cigars that were stored there by the Mineral Springs Tobacco Shop years ago. One almost expects to see ghosts in clothing from the 1920s walking through the lobby or lingering at the hotel bar because, well, according to some, they still do. The Mineral Springs Hotel opened in 1914 and was the most spectacular hotel in Alton's history. Early advertising boasted that the hotel featured the largest swimming pool in Illinois, Mineral Spring Cures, and the biggest dining table in the city of Alton, which was set to seat 26 people. There was a restaurant, coffee shop, mineral baths and massages, and much more. The city had never seen anything like the place, but it was no surprise that it had been created by two of the wealthiest and most powerful men in Alton. The hotel was constructed by August and Hermann Lure, two German immigrants and successful meatpackers who intended to open an ice storage plant on the property in 1909. But when workmen began drilling a well for an ice-making and cold storage facility, they discovered a natural spring under the ground. The water from the spring had a strong sulfur smell, and legend claimed that a chemist declared it to have medicinal qualities. He is said to have recommended that the Lure brothers build a health spa on the site instead of a building for storing ice. Construction was started in October 1913 with the building of a water bottling plant in what became the lowest sub-basement of the building, which was about five levels below the street. The hotel was literally built on top of it, layer by layer, opening for business the following June. The finished structure was in an Italian villa style, covered in a beige stucco with a tile roof. The ornate interior contained terrazzo floors, marble staircases, decorated plaster cornices, and art glass throughout. It was an elaborate and luxurious and an immediate success, especially after the two mineral baths opened, drawing people from all over the Midwest. The water was said to have caused remarkable cures for all sorts of ailments and restored the health of every guest who came to experience it. The largest indoor swimming pool in Illinois opened in the basement and became a local attraction. There were swimming lessons, water polo, contests, events for Alton orphans, and more. Thanks to savvy advertising, water from the Mineral Springs was soon being shipped to customers as far away as Memphis and New Orleans. In July 1914, the hotel was bottling and selling more than 100 bottles every day. Consumption of the water increased that year to 350 gallons every week, and the hotel boasted that its curative power equaled that of water found in Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
The mineral water was extolled as a cure for headaches, colds, muscle aches, and even a cure for alcoholism. A newspaper article from 1914 quoted one believer, I know for a fact that a drink or two of it will, in the course of an hour or two, completely sober the drunkest man you ever saw. People began pouring into Alton to partake of the healing waters, and the hotel held its grand opening in September 1914. It was said that at that one point, the swimming pool attracted over 3,000 people in a season. The hotel was purchased by August Ratz in 1919, and it enjoyed its heyday through the 1920s and 1930s. It boasted guests like Admiral Richard Byrd, the explorer who reached the North and South Poles by air, and actress Marie Dressler, who came to Alton to promote Liberty Loans. By then, the hotel had hired an orchestra to play on Sunday afternoons and for dining in the evenings. Fraternal orders, organizations, school groups, and others held banquets and dances at the hotel, and it became the social center of Alton for many years. But time was not kind to the old place. Eventually, government agencies forced the hotel to stop bottling the water and making unsubstantiated claims about its healing powers. The tourists stopped coming, and the once grand rooms began to be rented to transients on a weekly and even monthly basis. In 1971, the Mineral Springs Hotel closed for good, and the deterioration of it caused it to be condemned. The roof leaked in many areas, and the ceiling had collapsed in others. In 1978, though, it was restored and turned into a mall that offered shops, offices, and restaurants. Since that time, it's been through several different owners and has become, more or less, a fixture in Alton. Once the place reopened in the late 70s, stories began to be told about the hotel, although these stories had nothing to do with miracle cures, mineral baths, or the golden years of the building. These stories had to do with ghosts. There are a number of ghosts said to haunt the Mineral Springs, from former guests to staff members who simply never left. Many of them are tall tales, legends with no basis in fact, but others, well, they're not so easy to dismiss. Perhaps the most eerie spot in the building is the old swimming pool in the basement. While some of the stories that surround it are fanciful at best, there seems to be little question that the pool is haunted. Footsteps are often heard in the empty room and more than one person has been touched by unseen hands while standing near the pool or have seen the apparition of a person who shouldn't be there. One former staff member had a strange encounter with the pool when he walked down the stairs to the basement and heard water splashing from the other side of a closed and locked door. Knowing that he was alone in the building, he quickly stepped into the room and turned on the light. When he did, he discovered the pool area was empty. However, when he looked down, he saw a line of wet footprints leading away from the pool, crossing several feet of concrete, and then disappearing. Oh, and I should probably mention the pool hasn't contained water in decades. It had a serious crack in the bottom after it was drained in 1971, and it's never had water in it again. The most famous ghost story of the Mineral Springs is that of the Jasmine Lady. The stories say that she's haunted the main staircase and lobby for many years. While few can agree on what ended her life on the staircase, some say she fell, others say she was pushed, most believe that she died on the stairs and has never left them. During the years when the hotel was still in operation, staff members and guests sometimes caught glimpses of a woman on the staircase or felt someone push past them, even though no one was there. Footsteps were often heard on the marble stairs or the rustle of a woman's dress as she hurried past. But most famous about the lady is her smell a pungent perfume of jasmine flowers that lingers for a moment and then disappears. The mysterious smell has been experienced by countless people over the years, from ghost hunters to the most skeptical of business owners who rented out portions of the building. 
Many who smell the perfume have no idea that the former hotel is haunted until they read about it later and realize they may have come face to face, so to speak, with the hotel's most famous resident ghost. These may be the best known hauntings of the Mineral Springs, but they're not the only ones. The ghosts of the staircase and the swimming pool do not walk these corridors alone. Hotels are notorious for the ghosts that have been left behind. Imagine, if you will, just how many people pass through a hotel in a single year. Then consider how many guests an old hotel might boast after decades in operation. It's not hard to imagine that there might be a ghost or two around, or many in some locations. The Mineral Springs seems to be no exception to this rule. It's a strange and mysterious location that has earned a place of honor in Haunted Alton. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Good. Then we're good. Yeah, that went good. Thank you. Thank yeah, that's you. the. Yeah, I think that was the one. That's the keeper. Cool. You missed everything, but what? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> fucking with you. I'm just kidding. But yeah, we're good. Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode two of season one, covering the hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host Cody Beck, and with me once again, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. What's up, Troy? Hey, how's it going? How's your week been? Mine has been very long. So Hectic. Enough to say about that. Stressful, to <laughs> say the least. But this is our break from the week. So we get away to do something to talk about something that has nothing to do with anything else we do the rest of the week. Well, I shouldn't <laughs> say that, I guess. Uh, but I don't actually get to sit around and just talk about it. So that's the kind of the nice right, thing. You got to so. walk and you have to lead tours. Yeah. And you got to yeah. tell people. So, yeah. I guess it doesn't have, you know, nothing to do with my week, but, you know, 
Well, either way, I'm glad you're here. And I just real quick want to give a quick shout out. Um, I'm drinking a North End IPA beer from Old Bakery Brewery, Alton's Finest. Um, and we also have some citrus wheat beer from Old Bakery. Just to be clear, they're not sponsoring us. I'm just no, trying no. to get them to. Yes, but I've already consumed some myself. So <laughs> No, they are delicious and I, are. I definitely recommend them. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. First and foremost, I need to start with this heavy hitter question. <laughs> The Mineral Springs Mall boasted the biggest dining table. What the hell is that? I, I don't know. I uh, I think that in 1914, you were looking for whatever amenities you could list for your hotel. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, there was no air conditioning. There was, you know, I mean, yes, they had, you know, miracle cures going on in the hotel. But, you know, as far as attracting people who didn't maybe want to use the swimming pool, um, having a hotel that could have a restaurant that seated 26 people at one table, I guess, was a good like When I'm, when I'm I, looking I, something on Hotels.com yeah, or something, it's like, yeah. I'm looking, who's got the biggest table? Uh, I know. That's, yeah, really, exactly. So, I, you know, when you've got the biggest swimming pool in Illinois, who right. needs the biggest dining room table? That's kind of my thinking, so, but, but... Yeah, I know. Advertising I know. was different back then. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, obviously... <laughs> Hello, you know, obviously. <laughs> obviously when it comes to water, so. <laughs> well, you're big on water, so we've already covered that. Uh, you know, speaking of, of the the miracle cures, so July 1914, they're selling and shipping 100 bottles of spring water every day, and then they up that to 350 gallons per week. So personally, I, I applaud the entrepreneurship, but I'm still pissed. <laughs> yeah, well. Because this is, this is the issue, and, and one of the reasons I kind of want to start this podcast is I'm fine with mysticism and, and paranormal things and, and entertainment and all that. But I get upset when I feel that people are using that to take advantage of other people. And if you're selling it as a miracle cure, I wonder how many people weren't using real cures. Well, yeah, but water. you got to, here's the thing to remember though. We're talking about 1914. Um, there weren't a lot of real cures. I mean, medicine was not what we know of today back then. Um, you mean, yes, there were medical schools. I mean, it was, this wasn't like the 1800s where you read a book and went, Oh, I'm a doctor or Hey, I'm a lawyer. Right. You know, um, you, you had to go to school for it in 1914, but people were much more open to different types of cures. There, there was no, in those days, there was no FDA. There was no one regulating this stuff. So you could, I mean, you know, they were putting cocaine in your Coca-Cola back then. You know what I'm saying? And, and it was, <laughs> sounds great. I mean, that well, you could go into a drugstore and buy, uh, you could buy cocaine, you could buy uh, morphine. I mean, oh, this was over the counter. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could buy, you know, pretty much any, you could buy arsenic, you know, strychnine, Jeez. you know, all kinds of stuff. You, you could just buy it right there in the drugstore. So for people to hear that there was a water that would offer a cure. And, and here's the thing, again, you got to go back into this and go, okay, did it cure alcoholism? No. I mean, of course not. But um, the mineral content of some of the waters in the springs mm -hmm. um, really, truthfully, could have eased a lot of people's ailments. Arthritis, rheumatism, that kind of thing yeah. um, could be eased by the, the, the content, the mineral content of these waters. So I don't think it was a... A complete scam. Mm -hmm. I just think that 
perhaps a little overboasting was going on as to what it gotcha. could cure. Well, now my um, question though is that if these people had access to cocaine and morphine right over the <laughs> counter, why were they grabbing water? Why did, they need, to, why did water? they need to go to the pool? Yeah. Well, I think even by that point, people were starting to realize that might not be the best thing for them. <laughs> Trading you know? one problem for uh, another. Yeah. So the a water, you know, the water added a, a was an, a nice, a, you know, change of pace for what was being offered. So, right. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying too. And, and I, and I do agree with you because, you know, if you look at the entire lists from a lot of these mineral springs of the era, you know, there's no way. I mean, obviously some of the stuff that they claim that they cured, they didn't cure. Right. Um, it, it always reminds me when I think about any of the mineral springs, whether here or, you know, there's another one at the original Springs Hotel down in Oakville, Illinois, which is down further south mm-hmm. from here. Also another famous spring. But and again, that was one that was lauded for curing uh, arthritis. And, and really, there were a lot of people who couldn't walk and left their able to walk. So that's kind of hard to dispute. But then again, there would be that long list of other things that it's supposedly cured. Right. And it makes me think of uh, the guy in um, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, who, you know, the, the Crescent Hotel, he ran a, a cancer hospital. And and I hope we do a future episode on the, on the Crescent because it's a great story. But he claimed that he could cure cancer without surgery or radiation or anything like that. And everybody died. I right. mean, he was a complete quack. <laughs> You know, and and I think there probably was a a little of of both going on with any of these springs. Right. But yeah, again, remember how popular that kind of stuff was at the turn of the last century. Right. You know, they were all over the place. Indiana, Illinois, everybody had one. So I think if that so. spring could really make a drunk man sober, they could have just they could have kept shop right there because all the bars downtown. Well, right, and with it would have been bars, perfect. Yeah, they just just everybody just come over, have some of the water, or go back and drink. Be some good more, to go. Right? Yeah. So. So, okay, the most popular story from Mineral Springs is the Jasmine Lady. And I have to say, that sounds to me like the villain in a bad kung fu movie. <laughs> Jasmine Lady. Just right out of the gate. Um, you've, done, you, you've done different um, tours and stuff there. I actually remember uh, when I was a lot younger in high school, I went on one of the tours with you there in Mineral Springs in, in the basement. And the pool is actually one of the things that sticks out in my mind yeah, oh yeah. to this day. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences? Yeah, and you have um, an upcoming overnight or something. Or yeah, like well, a 1 yeah, we've thing, got a right? ghost hunt uh, coming up there soon. We, we do them periodically there. Um, but yeah, the, the Mineral Springs was always one of my favorite places on the tours. Um, in the early, from about 1998 to 2004, I, most of the tours that we had here in Alton, I did myself. And which could be really exhausting in October, um, right. but it was it was a lot of fun. And the Mineral Springs was always one of my favorite stops because you never knew what was going to happen. Um, now I had gotten to know um, the guy who had owned it uh, at that time. I knew his son pretty well, and um, he also they at that time his son had lived at uh, well at the the Hanson House, the Enos Sanatorium yeah. on Third Street. And they also had the Mineral Springs. And uh, he had moved down into an apartment down at the Mineral Springs and had invited me down. We used to go down quite a bit and we'd just kind of goof around in there at night, just kind of wander around and explore the building and, and hang out down in the pool. And we had some really strange experiences down there. His dad did not believe in ghosts at all, but he was, he immediately said, you know, I, I don't believe this is, I always love stories that start. I don't believe in ghosts, but, but <laughs> and uh, told me about being in the building and by himself in the morning, no one else there and, and walking down the hall and smelling that, 
that perfume. Um, and he, you know, he said, oh, I'm sure there must be some explanation. It just, he didn't have one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, one of the places that we liked to go down and was, we would just hang out down there in the pool and just, you know, who knows, maybe something will happen. You know, we just hang out down there and talk. And, um, one night we were down there and we're just sitting down in the, in lawn chairs in the pool, uh, in the bottom of this big empty pool. And the door that leads into the pool and was this, this big, heavy metal door. And so when it opened, it would scrape across the concrete floor. I mean, no way of mistaking what it was. And we're sitting down there and just heard this horrendous scrape and that door swung open. And we, you know, looked up there with flashlights pointed up there and there's nobody mm. and nobody else in the building. So that was, that was weird. Um, you know, there were, there were other incidents that happened um, where there were, there were plenty of times that we heard footsteps and noises in there. But I think one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories about it um, was a, a buddy of mine uh, had come along on the tour one night to kind of help just kind of bring up the rear, keep people moving. Yeah. And he's a cop in St. Louis. So, and this is a guy who's, uh, you know, active in the military was, uh, as did, did like three tours in Iraq. I mean, so, I mean, this is a guy who's incredible. Has, has seen some things, right. right. And, and, you know, is, is a credible guy. And he was helping us kind of round people up. Cause you know, I'd bring everybody in there and you know, shut off all the lights so they could see how dark it was. I remember. Know? Yeah. And, yeah. And then let people look around a little bit, you know, take some pictures and stuff. And, uh, my friend Dave was, was kind of standing over by the door and, and, kind of helping me try to keep an eye on where everybody was. And so time was up. We had to get moving, wrap up the tour. And uh, so we're kind of getting everybody together. And Dave said he looked up and he saw one of the people in the group went down a hallway off to the side of the pool, deeper into the building. So, you know, he's thinking, well, you know, they're just looking around. I'll go get them and tell them we got to get going. So Dave follows him down the hallway and he makes a turn and he makes another turn and he keeps going and he catches a glimpse of the guy going around a corner. And so he follows him into a dead end. Mm. There's nobody there. He's just gone. And, you know, he's realized that I don't know who I just followed, but whoever they are, they've just vanished. And there's no doors. Everything's locked. It's just, it's a dead end. So he comes back and, you know, to meet the rest of the group. And he's just like, you know, eyes are wide. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? And he goes, I'll, I'll tell you about it later. I'll just tell you about it later. So, and off we went. And uh, later on, after everyone had gone home, he's telling me the story. And, um, you know, this, like I said, this is a guy who'd seen some things and he was really unnerved yeah. by what had happened. Um, I had another friend, we were down there one night and he had seen, uh, a figure that he described, we had a whole tour group and we turned the lights off, turn the lights back on again. And I noticed my friend is going from like person to person to see what they're wearing because he had seen a guy standing at the edge of the pool in, in a certain, in certain clothing. And then when the lights came on, the guy was gone. There's nobody in a and 1920s there was tuxedo. Nobody or... that looked like that. No, no tuxedos <laughs> or anything. But he did describe it as, you know, like uh, kind of 1940s style, mm. you know, dress clothes and thing. But there was nobody wearing anything even close to that. Right. And so he was, um, he, that that unnerved him. And he's, again, he's not a guy who this kind of stuff bothers. He's really into ghost stuff. So, right. you know, so, I, I mean, I definitely think there's something to the hotel. I mean, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and, you know, I, I, we can get into some of the stories, you know, there, there are, the Mineral Springs is one of those places that has become kind of infamous for its tall tales. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of stories 
that were invented, uh, most of them in the early 2000s, really. It's not anything recent. It's stuff that was done years ago by um, people in, in, I'm going to say, who claim to be psychics. Perhaps they are, perhaps they're not, uh, but claim to have lots of visions about things that were in the hotel that don't match anything from history yep. of the hotel. And so that, that becomes an issue and, and that's going to be something that will be in almost every episode. I think uh, will be stories that, you know, have come up that, that don't necessarily have any connection to real events. Um, right. One of my favorite stories was the story that, and, and it just kept getting embellished when you was reminded me when you brought up the guy in the tuxedo who oh, is yeah. supposed to haunt the pool. Um, the story was the man in the tuxedo who haunts the pool was a man who had come there with his wife in the 1920s, and he kept flirting with other women. And his wife got angry with him because apparently this is something that had been going on for some time. And she took her high-heeled shoe, and I love the detail here, took her high-heeled shoe and hit him so hard in the face with it that her heel went into his eyeball, <laughs> and he fell into the pool and drowned. And his ghost, his angry ghost, has haunted the pool ever since. Now, right. this was this was the, like the most popular story of the early 2000s. And not a word of it is true. I mean, not a word of this story is true. There's been one drowning in mm-hmm. the hotel pool um, in the 1920s. A guy named Clarence lived over in Wood River. So, and again, it's one of those things where people say is the name, ghost's name is Charlie. I right. don't know That's where that what comes I've read from about. either. Uh, because of, and I've got a literally literally have the newspaper article right here in front of me that says that uh, Clarence Billick, age 21, mm-hmm. drowned in the pool. Um, and he was there for like a daytime, like a swimming, just with an open swim kind yeah. of thing and accidentally drowned in the pool. Um, I've never heard of any ghost named Clarence that haunt the whole, but yet that's the only guy that's died there. Right. So go figure. Um, that's the story. Yeah, but that's the story. So that's, so. that brings up another point uh, you know i've read i've read your haunted alton book um i've been to mineral springs when i was a kid and didn't think anything of it and then i went on your ghost tour um and started thinking of it a little bit differently <laughs> but i you know i've been doing a lot of research for all these episodes and so i wanted to ask you about um i had a lot of trouble finding like historical facts and information and, and you know documents and stuff for things that have happened so long ago and so i wanted to kind of talk to you about maybe your, your process or like how you research things and how difficult it is to figure out, you know, separate the fact from fiction when, when it's an old, you know, a hundred years ago type. Well, story. this is a tough one. Um, that's a really tough one to find anything out about as far as, I mean, a lot of buildings are, are easier, especially if they stay in business, this place, who knows whatever happened to the records from this place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest trouble that I ran into. Now there are, it is plenty of, newspaper documentation. I, I found tons. I mean, you can go back into the old Alton Telegraphs from the time this place opened to the time it closed, and you will find almost every day, every day, there's something about the Mineral Springs in the paper. But most of it is either advertising, um, looking for job, you know, hiring cooks or hiring housekeepers, or it's whatever organization had an event there yeah. or a party there or a banquet or something. That's about the extent of it. Um, there isn't a lot of bad news. Uh, this one particular guy that drowned, um, that's the worst story that I've ever been able to find. I mean, there may be others, but I've never been able to track them down. And I've got a pretty good archive service for that kind of thing. And there just isn't a lot of material other than just what is in 
the historical record of Altman, and there isn't a lot. Um, it was at the time when it was in operation, the first you know couple of decades at least, mm-hmm. um, it was a really popular spot. It was a very big on the social scene here because it was the biggest. I mean, there was no Beltline back. There was no Homer Adams Parkway back then. Everything that was anything that was business in Alton was in this downtown area. And it was the big hotel. I mean, the Stratford was there as well, uh, but it didn't offer the kinds of things that the, and it came along a little later, and it didn't offer the kind of amenities that the Mineral Springs did. And that, you know, we laughed a little bit at the beginning of this about the water, but that was a huge draw. Mm. I mean, that brought a lot of people to town. The world was different back then. Yeah, the world was different. And, you know, there, there was... You know, we were barely into movies at that point, let alone anything else. I mean, there wasn't a lot of entertainment. So the fact that you could go out to dinner and there was a live orchestra and that kind of thing, you know, performing there, that it was a big deal. And that that made it a, a really special night. And that's what I think was one of the big draws, more so than the hotel part of it as far as people staying there, other than people coming from outside the area. But for locals, that was what drew them to the hotel. And and it is tough. It is tough to find records of that kind of because the business records, who knows where they went? You know, I'm, they've been gone for a long, long time. So, do you ever just go on ghost tours or other people's tours around buildings and they say something about this legend or you know this actually happened? You just from the back just be like, no, it didn't. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I it's used like, to do actually. That. I used to do that more often than I do now. I, I did used to do that a lot, and not just at on ghost tours at like uh, historic sites and stuff. Um, I would like to correct the guy. You're just a hoot at Gettysburg. Yeah, it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it's usually not well received, which I understand. (laughs) Of course it's not. So I kind of, once I, once I really got into, um, when I, when I got into the ghost business in the nineties, I stopped, really stopped doing that because I was imagining what it'd be like to have some smart ass like me right. on my tour <laughs> correcting people. Um, so yeah, that's not really something I do much. Now I will often kind of stand in the back and snicker because I know the stories aren't true. But, right. Um, or just sort of be amused, you know, by the whole thing. Uh, I was in Key West a few years ago and took uh, the tour and the, at the end, the guy said, well, you didn't seem like you enjoyed this much. And I said, no, no, it was great. (laughs) It's hilarious. I I said, but you know, it's what I do for a living kind of thing, you know? And so, and then that turned into a whole different conversation, but um, I went because I wanted to see Robert the doll. And I love Robert the doll. I know at that time, that was the only way you could see him was on this tour because they had moved him from the house where he was in town out to the old fort. And so that was the only way you could see it. So I went on the tour, Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, but it, but it was fun. I mean, it was always fun, you know, it's just sometimes not as accurate as you'd, you'd like. hope. Right. <laughs> you'd hope. Well, the last question I have for you, um, you mentioned, we talked about this in the last episode a little bit, but I'm curious, what do you think it is about hotels in particular? Um, you know, is it the the number that, that tend to be haunted? Is it the number of people that go through there and all the experiences and like so much energy going through one place and just so many different stories, you know, being created in one location that makes them more susceptible to hauntings? Or what do you think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Okay. I actually, I was agreeing with everything you said because I think it's a it's a combination of so many things. Um, you know. Okay. Take your take your average Hampton Inn. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's been in business for ten years and it has sixty rooms. And during that time, let's say on an average, forty of those rooms are filled on a daily basis, three hundred sixty five days a year. 
that's a lot of people. Yeah. Now, take a hotel that's been open since, say, 1914, that was open from 1914 to, you know, 1971, that during that time had like, you know, 150 rooms and were filled for the most part in the first few decades every single day. You're talking about thousands and thousands of people. You've got energy, like you said, a lot of drama. I mean, think of the things that happen. I mean, even your average new hotel, you know how many people die in a hotel every year? I do not. And not even die the depraved kind of crap that goes on in a hotel that people wouldn't do in their home. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are places that absorb a lot of weird things. I mean, from deaths to whatever in hotels. And, you know, that leaves an impression behind it. Just like we talked about in the last episode, we were talking about, you know, history, leaving a mark on a place. Well, this is, this is history plus all the people. I mean, all, all of the people and the energy. And I think that if it's going to leave an impression behind, that's a place where you're going to find it is in a hotel. Yeah. Um, you've got all that energy. You've got all of that, that kind of lingering trauma from the past. And, the fact that it replays itself sometimes as a haunting really isn't that big of a surprise. If, if you believe in hauntings and ghosts, right. but um, you know, when you have people who say, I don't really believe in ghosts, but you know, here's a place that can make you a believer. Yeah. Um, it's a weird spot. It's, it's a very haunted spot. And um, you know, if I had to list, you know, the top five places that are the most haunted in Alton, it's, it's definitely in the top three. I mean, it's a, it's a very eerie spot and Mm -hmm. it can be a very eerie spot. And, um, I think that history definitely has left a mark there. Nice. Well, that's, that's all I have. They're playing the house music. I think we got (laughs) to wrap wrap it up. up. Do you want to do your, your, sure. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you like the show, uh, go on to iTunes, uh, give us some kind of rating, give us a comment, give us a review better yet. If you know people who are interested in this kind of show, spread the word. Uh, tell them about it. Um, we'd love to to get more listeners. So anybody that you can find who might be interested in ghosts or hauntings or Alton, Illinois, even uh, spread the word and uh, help us keep this thing going. So thanks again. Thanks to Cody for having me in. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And um, we'll be back for another episode uh, in two weeks. Yeah, we'll be discussing Milton Schoolhouse in two weeks. Thanks a lot. Thanks. We aim to combine historic record, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to teach you a little bit more about the paranormal activities of Alton, Illinois. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Monday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com where we also have some links to Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours and other events. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Please say hello or tell me how much you hate the show. I promise I won't hold back because I have nothing to lose. Find Troy on Twitter at TroyTaylor13 and on Facebook by searching for the Troy Taylor author page or by going to Facebook.com slash AuthorTT. You can also check him out at AmericanHauntings.net. All music was written and recorded by Charlie Brockus at Lighthouse Sounds. This episode was produced and recorded at Lighthouse Sound Studios. Find them at lighthousesounds.com. <laughs>